Hello, friends. I wanted to give you a bonus episode that is normally just for our patrons. This is part of our Patreon um, series called Artists on Labels, where I talk to an artist about their experience with record labels and how we as record labels can better serve artists from the artist perspective. And so this is one of our episodes in our series that is exclusive to our patrons. If you are a fan of the show and you want to get some bonus content and you want to support the program, please consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash other record labels. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash other record labels. Today's episode is with the artist Bellows. We're talking about their new record, and they're from a great label called Top Shelf Records, who we've had on the show before. Please consider becoming a patron, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So here's what I want to ask you. Um, and and by the way, I have been... First of all, let's, let's talk about your new record, because... Um, I was listening to it today and um, this will be dropping after the world knows about the, the record. Um, so tell me about the new record and it, it comes out next year, right? Yeah, it comes out in March, March 23rd. Okay. Okay. Gosh, what a wait. Are you? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, like the uh, album rollouts are, I feel like they're always getting longer. Like we did. Like, yeah. For the last one and this one is four months well i was just gonna ask you because i've been talking about the vinyl delay with a lot of record labels and a lot of industry people and we're, we're kind of empathizing with artists so what's that's what's that like for you i mean assuming like you finish this record at a certain point you get it mastered and now you're sitting on your hands for quite a while yeah it's really weird it's been three albums in a row like this for us where um our album fist and palm i think we finished that like midway through 2015 and it came out in september of 16 mm. uh the rose gardener the last one was finished like early 18 came out early 19 this one we we recorded it in january of uh this year so i guess this is actually the shortest amount oh, of time. okay okay um and then it was mastered in like april may so okay yeah about 14 months from recording it and, you know, 10 from, uh, and then, and like knock on wood, like hopefully the vinyl is ready by March. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of just stealing myself for like delays. Like Kevin Mm -hmm. from top shelf made it pretty clear that like they get these estimates, but like they're never actually sure. So we're just like going ahead and planning it and like planning tours and stuff. But your, esti- like, your estimates are only as good as as uh, like what major label artist is going to release a record while you're waiting because the, the plants are going to stop and put in Billie Eilish before and Adele before you. That's my theory. Right. It's kind of astonishing to me that like it can still work in like su- like such an unequitable way that it's like it's almost just like like directly insulting to independent labels like that you can like you can buy time and then have it just superseded by someone who can like outbid you yeah i know i i know and i actually i i heard from a plant recently because i i i sent a record away in uh march i think i i sent it off and paid for it in march and i'm i'm expecting it like next week and we're in end of october so i'm expecting early november that's a, a little bit past when i was hoping for it to be honest but um I I heard from someone I won't name the plant but I I heard someone say like 
in my emails, like some bigger projects came in or something. I, I, I basically like it, maybe it was just kind of like affirming my suspicion that, that, you know, the big, the big kids can come in and, and press a hundred thousand records or 50,000 records. And my 200 gets put off to the side. Right. I get, yeah, I get it's that. weird that there's no like contract system. Like you'd think that by now, because vinyl's ubiquitous, like everybody mm -hmm. in the industry is pressing it. So you would think that there would be some system for actually like putting in writing that things have to happen in a certain order or you're like, you know, breaking some right. rule. Well, I think I'm, I imagine that those contracts are in place with the major labels when it comes to 50,000 copies. But, you know, if we were to say, you know, sign this contract that you'll have my 100 copies to me in six months, they probably like buy, <laughs> like they kind of have the power right now. Right. Which seems to be because there's so few pressing plant options, but that makes me wonder like if there's such demand for vinyl, why aren't, why wouldn't more people like open a plant? Like, it seems like that would just like print money for you basically. Yeah. I wonder, I still think it's a pretty arduous process. And I, and I know that there are new machines that, which is, which is a new thing in the past 10 years, but I still think it's really, it, it's not a, I don't think it's a fun business to get into. I think you're probably millions in, in investment and you're probably recouping over the next decade or more. And who knows how long the vinyl thing will last. I mean, I assume forever, but like, who knows? So yeah, I don't know. Cause I mean, it's still just, it's still just a big factory, you know, with lots of things to go wrong and lots of safety concerns. So I don't know. It's tough. I wish there was a plant and maybe this is out there. I wish there was a plant that only did indies. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah. I feel like I've heard of a few that like only do smaller pressings, but I can't tell if they continue to operate that way. Like, yeah. I, I know, my, um, my friend Frank, who plays piano in Bellows, runs a label called Deer Life. Oh yeah, and sure. uh, he, yeah, he was telling me that like they they use this like small plant in Philly that I think only does like small presses, so he's able to get like faster turnaround times. Mm. But I think the problem is that like that secret gets out when there's like somebody that's like, oh, we only do like short runs of like 200 to 500 records. And then suddenly like they're inundated. Yes. So it's like you, you only have your secret for so long. Yeah. And, and I imagine like there's, if I'm doing a hundred or 200 and then there's a plant that only does indies, there's still, there's still indies out there that are doing 5,000, 10,000. So there's always going to be somebody who's more important than me, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I don't, it's so frustrating and like feels like really like silly and avoidable. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I try to give the plants the benefit of the doubt, but I'm sitting here like dying for my records and I don't know. So, so you're done with your record. And so now you're sitting around and waiting and um, like, are you prolific? Do you like write during this time or you try not to write? Yeah. Yeah. So the way I write is like in month long bursts, like for the past, I don't know, like eight years or so I've been doing these like song a day projects where for a month I just like sit down and write a song every day. Mm. And they're usually just kind of like really, really raw. Like it'll be like one melody yeah. and like, just or like, just like a lyrical phrase or something. Cause it's impossible to write something fully formed. Sure in uh, such a short amount of time, but it's like, 
I, I feel like the thing I learned a few years ago is that like songwriting and like creative, just like work, it, it's almost like a muscle that you can get out of practice with. So it's like, mm-hmm. if I just, if I don't do a project like that, it feels like I would probably like not have any ideas in like a six month period. Whereas like, if I force myself to just sit down and write something every day, I usually end up with like maybe six seeds of like, a song that I actually really like, which is like way more than I'd write in like a year, probably if I wasn't like holding my feet to the fire. Interesting. So, so you have, so you do this like a month at a time and then nothing. And then you take a couple months off. Yeah, exactly. Like I I just, I'll I'll pick a month where I'm like sort of free. So I've been doing it for the last like two months in a row, like writing something every day. On average, uh, how many like album worthy songs come out of those 30 attempts? I'd say like seven. That's pretty good. Usually, yeah. It, it didn't used to be the only way I write, but now it's like the only way I write because it's like, I, I don't know, for some reason, just like getting into the groove over those months yeah. like, generates ideas that are like weirder and like feel like bigger leaps for me creatively than I would have in like a resting state where I wasn't like in songwriting mode, moving that muscle. Does uh, does having a record label, uh, having a team, having previous success, d- does that influence either how you write or, or, or at the very least, does it inspire you to, to, to do this practice of writing every day? No, I, I've, I've lucked out by having labels that were like pretty hands-off on the creative side. Mm. Like I, I, I've heard stories of labels who are like, interested in certain angles of an artist's sound or in sort of like, you know, asking for re-recordings of certain things. Right. And production notes. But every label I've worked with has pretty much been like, we respect you as a writer and we respect you as a self-recorder. So it's it's always been like, I make the records and they don't hear it. And then I kind of like give them a finished work and they're like, great, like we'll put this yeah, out. Right. So yeah, thankfully it hasn't played much of a role, but I, I do, I do think it's a gesture of respect for a label to just be like, we trust you, the record you want to make, however sort of weird it is, is cool with us. Yeah. And we are like on that journey with you. And does that, ins- but it's, it's gotta be inspiring. Like knowing that there are people waiting for your, your, your records. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to know that like, people who I'm involved with in that kind of business way are like also fans because it, it can it, it feels like you know if I write something that I'm really excited about where I'm like I, I really think this song like fucking rocks like they th- like that there's someone who I can send it to who will be like also excited <laughs> yeah, like, so yeah. you're not just kind of shouting into a void <laughs> yeah what's your earliest memory of record labels I I feel like there's two different answers, which are like, when I was like a kid, like 12, I remember there was this CD store called Soundtrack okay. uh, in my neighborhood that I think I bought Enema of the State, like <laughs> uh, and um, Hybrid Theory by oh, Lincoln sure. Park. Sure, okay. But at that age, like I was into skateboarding and like, you know, just getting into like, you know, alternative rock that was on the radio and Mm -hmm. stuff. And like, I don't think I had any concept of what a record label was. Like to me, it was just like, artists are famous 
and they get signed, you know, like the, yeah, the word signed. The signed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like which was similar actually to skateboarding where there was this like elusive word called like getting sponsored. Oh, okay, sure. Where like when I was 12, like all the other 12-year-old skaters were like, oh, like, like our friend who's 15, like he just like got sponsored and he like moved yeah, to okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So like so being signed to me was just this like kind of like far off thing that like, it was like an impossibility, like becoming like a famous actor yeah. or something. And getting like, an I, agent. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think it took until I was like in college, like 18, to notice that like record labels actually like do something mm. and are are run by people and that like decisions are made like on the creative end. So I remember when I first started in college, like I had some older friends who got me into Phil Elvrum, like the microphone. Yes, yes, yes. And I remember just getting like so obsessed with the P.W. Elvrum and Son uh, record label, which is really just like him, like printing his own yeah, records. Right. Like, and artwork and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just these gigantic, like, you know, fold outs, gate folds with like a huge poster and like a gigantic photo that he made. Mm. And, and that was kind of like an eye-opening experience for me. Cause I was like, Oh, like it doesn't have to be like this kind of removed process of like expecting like to be signed and immediately given celebrity. It's actually like part of the artistic, like choices that an artist is making, like to put out, albums like as artworks and just like yeah, yeah sell them in more of a diy way instead of expecting like you know distro and all that stuff yeah so that that became kind of like a model for me like even in thinking about the labels that i've worked with like just like how much is it possible to make real like mementos of you know m my visual art and my music that like feel like they're celebrations well and i love that thinking about um you know, thinking about uh, like Phil Avram and, and that concept of like, you know, that's like one of the early examples of a label just saying, if you like this music, you obviously like me as an artist. And so here are other things that I do, like exploiting himself in a way, which I think was great because so many people wanted to support his stuff and, and, and they loved his, his, you know, his drawings and they loved his music and everything. And it was just such a smart idea. Totally. Yeah. So I, I feel like I've kind of like brought that ethos to like my own work with labels where like for the last three albums, we've done these big gatefolds that are like four panels of my own visual art. And like this one includes like a comic I did. Um, so it's like, it's cool to like work with people that are like, okay, yeah, let's like make this like not only, uh, you know, printing of music, but also like a, a cool like piece of visual memorabilia that someone might use like you know a poster sure it, you did the artwork for your albums yeah i do okay. all my own visual art okay amazing amazing let me see if i can so you kind of like there is like a consistency in the last two records do you see that consistency too like a kind of a thread or is that just yeah, you, me yeah, like with the music or the visual art? visual well music of course but visual between the, the the new album cover and and the previous one yeah i do actually i do think so i i there's this artist i'm obsessed with called jim shaw okay um and he had this uh show i saw a few years ago um at the new museum 
um, that was like, it was like, sorry, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like, it, it was like it was just like wall to wall these like really really minute really detailed like um text-based drawings like that were sort of like about the apocalypse so it would be like you know like wait can you say that artist again who, who are you jim talking shaw jim shaw this is like sounding very familiar yeah the, I, the, the show is called the end is the end is here at the okay. museum Okay. In 2015. Um, and I, I feel like that was like a big, like artistic awakening for me. It was just this like huge, like wall to wall thing with like all of this, like weird text, like this sort of like foreboding imagery, almost yes, like yeah. apocalypse is coming. And like, like that definitely informed the Rose Gardener cover, which is like, th there's a lot of, it's almost like a codex where there's like secret messages, like written into it. And a lot of just different like boxes of yeah. imagery. Yeah. Like, so I, I felt like those were cool, like visual compliments to the music, which is like my, my music is sort of like frenetic, like pretty drama filled that it felt like it needed like a, a, a visual component that almost felt like you're like, is the narrator of this album like losing it? <laughs> well, it has like the music. I, both records have like a maximalist approach. I, I hear that, you know, which I think is awesome. Like in the same way, like the complete polar opposite of minimalism. Like it just feels, and that's what the covers do as well. Like it's multi-layered. Yeah. I definitely take a, like an additive approach to like recording. Like it, right. it's hard for me to pare down. I just like, <laughs> you know, blend and blend and layer and layer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is the artwork, uh, this is a stupid question, but is the artwork important to you? Of course. Yeah. It's, it's, Probably the most important thing just after the songs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. In fact, I would tie it with the songs sometimes. <laughs> like, I feel like it's it all together. Uh, it really informs how I... Tell me if you agree with this. It really informs, as a music fan, it informs how I listen to the music. Like, it sets a, it's, a, it's a picture frame for listening to the music. And it can actually negatively affect how I enjoy the music of, of any given album. Totally. There are like cliches of of album art that uh, I feel like can be really diminishing to music where like, y you know, like it, it'll just be like, just like a vague image of like a woman, like, you know, mm -hmm. some like stock actor or, or something. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, like I, I always think about the, um, the Hoobastank, uh, the reason video. Okay. Okay. Where it's just like it's just like this woman who like seems to be like a lost love of the singer, <laughs> sort of just like gliding through the world, and it's like this sort of vague wistfulness about like her and like you know what was lost sure. or something. Yeah. I, there, there's a certain sort of like generic album cover that's like like only complementing the most like broad brush yes. yeah. elements of the music, which yeah. is like I got broken up with. Like I'm feeling you know. Well, I always hate whenever like somebody comes up with a music video and it's very obvious that it's stock footage that they paid for. Yeah. And and I like I understand. I know like budgets are an issue and stuff, but it's like yeah, it it, it doesn't hit the same way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean to, to answer your question like like yeah, I feel like representing the music like with a visual component that's like my like how I see the album feels important to me because there's so there there's so many like cliches of album art that like yeah detract i i've had um people you know 
um, comp compliment artwork that we've released and, and times when people haven't commented on artwork, but it, when people say I was drawn to this on Bandcamp because of the artwork, or I really love the artwork, or they comment on when, when the album is announced and they comment on the artwork, I always feel so vindicated because sometimes I've tried to fight with artists and say, artwork is important. It's very important. And so I always feel so vindicated whenever, uh, and this will happen too, I'm sure, with your releases where people will say, oh my gosh, I love the album artwork before they've even heard a song. Uh, and I just, I find that to be really encouraging. Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope that like for someone who's not familiar with the music, it would be something that you'd see and be like, that resonates just as an image and might, you know, make me want to check it out. Yeah, especially on like 12 inch too, you know, especially, you know, and if you're doing like a reverse board or some sort of like cool crafty thing, seeing like next of kin in the record store would stop me in my tracks for sure. Totally. Yeah. We did that reverse board on fist and palm two two records ago. And like, uh, I love like, that it, artwork. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. I love that work too. Like, and it's like, it feel when you hold the reverse board, it like, it feels like you're holding, you know, like expensive, like parchment. <laughs> I like, know. It, 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 it's a it feels like so much nicer to yeah. hold the art in that way i've i've done um i'm doing reverse board on a, on a new project and it's very similar to uh um fist and palm in that it's like a light gray and i had a, a lot of people kind of warn me about how like dirty reverse board can get and like if you have them like especially if they're not shrink wrapped and they're like kind of stacked you'll get like that kind of scuffing that happens and yeah and, and i'm seeing it on a tape as well that we're, where we did an o card um it but you know what like it to me it's worth it it's worth the risk <laughs> it's almost like not even a risk to me like like my, my copy that i have of fist and palm like it's under a plant and like I, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's the I think the soil has like gotten on it. So over time it's like become this weird like tea stained yellow, almost like a treasure map. I I hope we have like no uh like vinyl enthusiasts who are listening and like you keep your records under plants. Yeah, no, I'm not precious about it at all. Like, in fact, like it looks cooler to me this way. Like I'm like, oh, I wish like there was a way to like age these records. That's cool. It, yeah. It looks yeah. so cool, like kind of filthed up and like you know yellowed by age and that's, that record's only been out five years but yeah. it's already like yeah up. <laughs> i i gotta get a copy of that record just to to put under a nice cactus or something yeah put it under a cactus pour some water on it <laughs> yeah. five years later you have a perfect yeah. record you have a great record uh, never play it on your turn demo so um real quick tell me your journey as an artist like where where was um like did you start out just like self-releasing or have you always been with labels no yeah like uh, i think shortly after discovering the pw album aesthetic like i the first bellows record uh i put it out just on Bandcamp in my first um year of college so mm -hmm. i was like 18 when it came out and um there was like this paper company that I found out about called Stumptown who would release these like, th th like you could just buy like blank foldable envelopes called Arigato packs. Okay. Were, it was like a brown cardboard fold up. So basically like the way I did it for our first tours was like just burning CDs. And um, there, there's like on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, there's this like guy who cuts stamps. Oh yes. Yeah. Image. So basically we got like the, the, the album cover for that album is just like 
a house with its roof blowing off, but it's like, it's one, it's pretty much like one image. Mm. So I just got a stamp like cut of that and basically just like burned CDs, stamped this cardboard like fold up thing. So we just had like folded cardboard yeah. CDs and they looked really cool. Like they looked actually like better than like a jewel case would have. Right. In my opinion. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So it was kind of like this collectible thing where each one was like hand pressed by me at, just on a burn CD and like did that for years until like a label wanted to put out vinyl for us. And what was your first record on a, on a label? Yeah. So we, there, there was this label called Burst and Bloom uh, from Maine. Yeah. They did CDs of, as of to say, I hit daylight. Um, but we're, we're pretty hands off other than that. So the first label that did vinyl uh, was this label that was pretty short lived in Brooklyn. Uh, it was this guy, Derek Evers, um, started this label called Dead Labor. Okay. That it, it, I think it started in 14 and like ended in 14. I'm oh, pretty that, sure. That's kind of nice. Nice. Yeah. It was just like <laughs> a great year. Second album, Blue Breath, and then uh, our friend's band, Big Ups. Uh, so only Bellows and Big Ups were on this label, and then it folded like right away. Mm. Um, but that was the first, like, you know, they, they did like a press campaign and pressed vinyl, and we're like trying to take it seriously for like a second, but then stopped. And then uh, after that, we did a rec- we did fist and palm with um, double double whammy. The uh, oh okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, my, oh okay, that's awesome. That's yeah, great. Uh, yeah. So that was great. Mike Caridi, who runs it, yeah, is a friend. Yeah, um, he's been on the podcast. Cool. Yeah. So so yeah, double double whammy was the one after that, and then top shelf for the last two. Yeah, I, I mean everybody loves top shelf. I mean that's like whenever people like make a list of great labels to check out top shelf is always on it it's kind of funny i see it all the time yeah they rock what, easy to work with. what part of um what part of releasing a record are you glad that someone else takes care of i mean you've you do this you did the stamping originally but now you have people to to do stuff for you uh, is there a part of the the releasing that, that um you're just glad to have a team for yeah it's like I think I, I feel a little sheepish with like self-promotion. Yeah. So oh, it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Like to have somebody on the other end who's like sending out emails, you know, to blogs, like being like, Hey, do you want to cover this? So that it's not like for years I was like booking my own DIY tours and like sending out my own albums to blogs and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Th- there's just like, I didn't mind doing it when I was a teenager. Cause it was like the novelty of it was fun, but it's like, it's cool to be able to, like make a piece of work and then stand back and not have to be like look at me like please Uh, give me attention yeah yeah totally so just like having just like someone else working with you who's willing to like do that for you just like makes the whole process like less like you know humiliating in terms of like (laughs) hey like among all the bands like check out mine yeah 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 no that is tough what about the opposite like I, I imagine you like to be kind of speak into the manufacturing a bit like what part of the releasing a record do you make sure that you supervise like when where do you become a diva and say i, I need to be involved with this i'm definitely a diva in all of the like art direction sure like so like I do all the like album art, like the full gatefold myself, do the music videos myself. Mm. And then like 
for instance, like Sarah Alvarez is like a new employee at Top Shelf who's like, we're working on a Rizzo print together. Oh, like cool. Poster. And I, I think I'm pretty diva about like, you know, like how the poster actually looks. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> wanting like really specific like color palettes and stuff like that. Yeah. I always love how, and it's something I try to do is like kind of creating like a cohesive visual campaign around an album. And so trying to like, you, you have your like parent design, which is the album cover. And then have, making sure the singles complement that and the merch and the website. I, I feel like when that's done well, it creates just this beautiful, like big piece of art, not just the, the album, but the, the whole campaign ends up becoming a piece of art. I completely agree. I, I, I feel like I, I'll choose like a color that it feels like the album is and just like really rock with that color. Yeah. So this one is like the album is yellow. Yeah. What, um, I don't know if this is something that you can share, uh, when this comes out in, in middle of November, but what like color variant are you doing with this record? Is that public? Oh, yeah. Will that be public knowledge? Uh, yeah, I think so. Cause I think they'll have the, um, pre-orders out. Okay. So, uh, Frank, who I mentioned before, who plays piano, uh, what felt really strongly about doing just like a classic black. Yeah, oh, okay. Like, yeah, his opinion was like that the the, uh, the obsession with like colored variants is sort of like something that will end up dating records from this oh, time. Interesting yeah, so theory. He, yeah, he works for this uh, um, record store called Downtown Music Gallery. Okay. Uh, they do like, it's like they sell like old, like vintage jazz and stuff. Sure. And so he's like pretty much a stickler about that. So we're doing black, but then I don't, I don't totally agree with what he's saying. Like I see what he means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so we're also doing this beautiful, uh, transparent green mm. and one that's totally clear. Oh, okay. You know what? It's funny. Um, well, first of all, good job not doing yellow because that would be a nightmare to try to. I mean, you have like multiple shades of yellow too, so that would be a nightmare to try to match that. Right. We did it. We actually did an Easter yellow for the Rose Gardener, the previous one. So I was like, I need new colors. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think I, now I'm super biased because the last record I I or the record I did recently is is clear. I just have a feeling like clear is like really hot right now. Like, and I feel like clear is the best decision no matter what the design i don't know i'm just very into clear and i as a record collector i love clear yeah i also love clear and someone told me that it it like has the best sound quality for some oh, reason oh interesting i never know if like if you can trust when people say stuff like yeah that, it's probably not true <laughs> it's probably not true i can't imagine that being true but i i uh let's add that to the pile right That's great. it had something to do with like you know, the vinyl, when it comes out, is clear. And when they dye it, it, like, you know, minutely degrades the... Oh, okay. sure, sure, sure. Oh, well, yeah, I, true. you know, I kind of with your buddy, too, about black. Although everybody says don't do black. And actually, as a music fan, I, I'm i not crazy about black. I feel like everyone has, like, a high expectation. At the same time, I really don't like... And I'm just being a super anal... Uh, music fan here i'm not speaking as a labeler or an artist but i some colors just kind of bore me and I, and i feel like if the colors are a bit off or if it's a major label who's trying to do a color and you can tell that nobody really tested this or or thought much about it and it's just a kind of an ugly color 
uh, then that bothers me. So sometimes black is like, you know what? Black is going to match the design you have here because it's the design is so busy and the design is so exciting that black almost just takes a back seat. So you pay attention to the artwork. So I kind of yeah, like black sometimes. Totally. I totally agree. And the, the art, like the artwork on this album is so visually busy. That yeah. Just the simplicity of a black record feels cool. And yeah. also like, I just as someone who feels like sentimental about records and like joining the lineage of like bands who've released vinyl, I'm like, I love the way like an old vinyl record looks and they're all black. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is like, they're all, all of them are thin too. Like they're all like one thirty or something. And that's kind of cool too. Like I almost feel like we should all be going back to making thinner records. Totally. Yeah. I, I think we, we like, I'm not sure if, uh, like this is something that Top Shelf is going to announce more like uh, officially, but for this one, like Kevin and I were having a conversation about like the environmental impact of pressing vinyl and okay. like it, like how these plastics just like don't degrade and sort of like end up in landfills and stuff. Right. And so like the plant that we're using for this one like is different than normal. It's like this plant in the Netherlands that's like pressing on a kind of like a biodegradable oh type very of cool vinyl. yeah so but does that I, I, and is that like with respect to the like what why does it matter if a record is environmentally friendly is that only yeah. in the sense that if somebody throws it in the garbage right yeah <laughs> i was actually like talking to someone about this and they made the same remark okay where it was like, it's I'm, only it only matters if it is biodegradable if people are throwing them in the trash. Right. Okay. Um, so I'm with you on that. It's like, I, I'm not of the belief that like vinyl is like unethical. Yeah. I'm not being facetious. I was just curious. Cause I've heard that conversation too. And I'm just wondering, uh, like, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like, cause people talk about CDs, how CDs were, um, like with the plastic jewel case and the plastic CD. And I, now I know a lot of people from our generation actually did throw out CDs. I'm not one of them, but I, I always just thought like, I don't know for some, for vinyl and tapes, people are, should be hopefully hanging on to them. And then, and then even giving them to a thrift shop. Right. They form, yeah, it's like a collection that you pass on to, you know, generations. Yeah. I don't know anyone that throws out vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially not now. I mean, there's such a, aftermarket for vinyl too for sure i would think the 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 more likely thing that i've talked to some people about is people who buy vinyl and never open it and never play it oh sure yeah and that's totally okay i don't mind those people yeah i, I but it, it does feel like there should be like two different lines like like at starbucks how there should be a line for people who just want a cup of coffee that's <laughs> yes. different than the people who want like a complicated latte. That's right. <laughs> like, like if you need your vinyl really fast for like the reasons of listening, it's a different like wait time than for people that are like, it's just for collector's items. Yeah. I have no idea any of my fans who, who have bought and not opened. I, I have no idea. I would, I guess I would never know that, but I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll cash their checks. Like, I think, I think it's great. And I think that they're, they're actually, you know, they're probably just being really supportive. Right. I would imagine that it's more like major label vinyl releases where like, you know, a, a releases vinyl, people buy it 
for family members as like a Christmas present. Yeah. Probably without always knowing whether the person even has the ability to like play vinyl. And then it's just sort of something that sits around like a poster. Or even if you're just like a pop, st- a fan of a pop star, you probably have a shrine to them in your room. And so a vinyl is just a nice uh, keepsake. Right. Even if you don't but listen I, to it. Yeah. What I'm saying is like, I wish that like things that were meant as keepsakes wouldn't have to be part of the same log jam that delays like vinyl that artists need for like touring and like want as their. Oh, like, okay. I see where this is going. Yeah. Okay. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yes. I yeah. see what you're saying. And yeah, the, the kind of records that are delaying my record and delaying your records and delaying our peers who are, who are, who are actually on tour right now with nothing to sell. Some, you know, if we were to see like all of the reissues or the soundtracks or the kids records or the parks and rec vinyl pressings, like all these silly stuff that's (laughs) happening is like, it would be pretty depressing. Some of these records. Right. Cause I do think people listen to like records from independent labels, like, like people buy them and they listen to them as the way of listening to the music. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true of like, you know, gigantic major label vinyl reissues of like some record everyone has on CD and Spotify, et cetera. Well, definitely reissues that are like 30 or 40 years old and somebody just is a completist and, and is like, I already have four versions of this, but this is a new white version. So I'm, I'm putting it on my shelf unopened. You're absolutely right. Right. Yeah. This is what the government should be for. This is what they, this is, should be a top priority for them. The, the Biden administration should set up uh, laws that protect... Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not American, uh, but it sounds like America is very concerned about things like that and, and the arts and the well-being of, of artists and stuff. Is that right, true? Right, much more than Canada. My, much more than Canada, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this has been fun. Hey, let me ask you one more question before I let you go. Um I, and it's kind of a loaded and, and, and big question, but uh, part of this segment is a chance for artists to speak directly to labels. Is there something, and, and we're not talking about top shelf here because they're, they're the best, but is there something that labels should keep in mind or something the average indie label doesn't realize when it comes to the needs of the artists? I mean, Yeah, I, the thing that I always think about is how many bands there are who are competing for the exact same like peanuts of attention Mm. that exist in the culture that like, there's just so many bands and so many artists that when you work with a label, I feel like there needs to be some discussion about like how this record is like special to the people who are releasing it and how you can frame it as something that like deserves to be checked out amidst the like, insane cacophony of just like culture that's happening interesting and i feel like that doesn't happen enough where there's just like there's a sense that music is a product and that it's always happening and always being promoted and always being promoted in the exact same way right and so like something that i that is important to me with labels is like almost like paring the conversation down and being like okay like beyond being a product like why are we interested in this like what is the project outside of just being like indie music in a field full of hundreds and thousands of other indie bands. And that's a great point. And what do you think, um, 
what do you think the solution is to that? I, I mean, do you th- are, are you suggesting? I mean, because every every publicist wants to know the story. What's the unique angle? Are you suggesting something deeper? Like, um, you, I, I, yeah, like what is the solution to that? Other than just what when a publicist says, "What's our angle?" I don't know. I think it like it involves everyone like taking more space away from the industry and not allowing yourself to fall into a mindset where music becomes generic. Mm. Like it's something, it's kind of burnout that I notice, like industry wide where there's so much music all the time that it becomes almost like a South by Southwest mentality of like, let me just check out this. Let me check out this. (laughs) Like there's always more, but it sort of like blends artists together into this single sort of like brick of just like, this is the culture I'm taking in all of it at once. And it, 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 it makes it feels like it cheapens art just like how much art exists that's being presented and marketed as the exact same thing as itself right i don't know if i have a solution so much no, that's as like fair. i like the feeling that like an album is being put out cuz it's like special and important to the people who are putting it out not just cuz it's like the next indie album that like it's time for well i know the labels that or artists that i've worked for and, and artists that i've released their music from there have been times, and even this is just a small thing, but there's times where I have a feeling this record may not land with the people and people may not feel the same way about this record that I do, but it's important to me and I'm a huge fan of it. And I just, I, I just want to put it out there because I love it. And, you know, sometimes, um, I feel like that's at at least, uh, an important part. Yeah. And I, I bet your love of it comes through as something that people can feel in like the way that you were like getting behind. Sure. The record. Sure. It's like, I, I feel like you can sort of like feel the obligation Yeah, behind some, like yeah. the way that some music is promoted where it's just like, I'm only asking for the attention for your attention for this because like it's time for, this to have attention and not because like anyone particularly cares. Yeah. Yeah. What Which creates just sort of like malaise over the entire culture where it's like, everyone's like, yeah, do I care about music? Like somewhat. <laughs> One of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is about how albums like unfortunately die on release day or you get like the week of, and maybe the week after people are talking about it. But then after that, everyone's moved on. What does an artist do at that point? What, like what what goes through your mind a week after release day? Do you have a, a strategy uh, to to kind of keep an album alive, uh, or or do you just kind of go with the the flow? Yeah, my, like touring heavily on it creates like especially because my music is self recorded. Like we end up interpreting the self recordings in the live band in a much more like sort of like loud like immediately kind of energetic accessible way Mm. so it's like songs have a second life i think sometimes in like how you interpret them live and i felt a few times like like months down the line touring on a certain record that it was like oh i wish i'd recorded this album now because i feel like i only understand the songs on it like in this context of like performing them live like after kind of discovering an intuitive way of like interpreting the song with Very my bandmates cool. and stuff. I, I, like I wish more bands would like take it seriously that like performance can be like 
a second life for music. Like your the recording doesn't have to be the only way yeah. people experience. It. Yeah. Well, that's really great. So it's for you. It's live. Definitely. That's awesome. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please go to patreon.com slash other record labels and consider becoming a patron today.